I speak in the name of Christ who calls us to be disciples and to make disciples. Amen. I'm mildly annoyed. Even though they are all grown up now, I still have to remind Johnny and Jimmy to check the nets for holes or weak strands. No wonder yesterday's catch was pathetic. Still, it's nice to have them here with me, mending the nets and doing inventory of all the fishing equipment. To their credit, my boys are great with the boat, and they always show up when I ask them to. Particularly James. He's my stereotypical firstborn. I'm proud of the way I raised them. I taught them to love God, and I taught them to fish. What more could a man need? And I'm proud of the way they turned out. I wonder if I tell them that often enough. I'd tell them now, but they already know. They seem restless today, distracted. I chalk it up to boredom. Yes, the life of a fisherman is monotonous. Yes, the smell of fish never really gets out of your hair or your clothes. Yes, the labor is strenuous, but the income is steady, and the view of the sun on the lake at the end of the day is pure gold. It's a good life. It's a safe life. I was so lost in my own thoughts that I didn't even notice the stranger on the beach until I heard him call out toward our vessel which was not too far from the shore. I squinted, trying to see him better, but my eyes are old, and the sun was in them. Is that the man I've heard people talking about? I tried to remember what exactly I'd heard them say. I don't pay much attention to the gossip and the the local chatter. But I saw my boys exchange a look with each other, communicating silently as only brothers can. And then James, James turned to me and said, Dad, we've got to go. He took my hand and squeezed it. It was a a gentle gesture, but rushed. John, my younger, more sensitive boy, simply said, Dad, we love you. His eyes were brimming, and before I knew what was happening, my two sons had jumped out of the boat and were running toward the shore, toward that shadowy figure on the beach. I was dizzy with confusion, but I did comprehend in that moment that what was happening was important. And for a half second, I pondered jumping out of the boat, too, to follow after them, bring them back, or see what they were up to. But then I looked down, and I saw a half-mended net on the floor of the boat. And so I picked it up, and I continued to work. 
as I prayed for them. Did you notice Zebedee when we heard the lesson from Mark? Did you notice him? He's not the focus of the story, but I just became a parent recently, and I could not help but notice dear old Zebedee when I read Mark this time. Parenthood has made me start to see things from Zebedee's perspective a little more. Can you imagine how he felt when both of his sons abruptly leave him to answer a call that seems to come out of nowhere with no warning? Becoming an empty nester is hard enough, but Zebedee not only loses his sons, but also his fishing business colleagues, right? And the way that Mark tells the story, there was no time for even a proper goodbye. It must have been all he could do to just whisper, stay safe. As James and John climbed out of that boat to follow this peculiar and compelling itinerant preacher. It's such a powerful image. The stories of Jesus calling his disciples are so crucial to our own understanding of what it means to be a disciple. And tonight, I want to offer just a few observations about what in this story we can take away for our own journey of discipleship. What we modern disciples can learn about Jesus's calling of his very first disciples, because there's a lot that translates to our lives. And my first observation to share is that when Jesus calls you, he will speak your language. For Simon and for Andrew and for James and John, that meant he spoke fishermen. Fishing was their means of survival. It was not a hobby for them. It was their livelihood. It was their core identity. And Jesus comes along and convinces them to join him by crafting for them a mission statement based on their core identity, fishermen. He says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. He speaks their language. If they had been bricklayers, he might have told them, follow me and I will help you, you will help me lay the foundation of the kingdom, right? If they had been merchants, he would have told them that he was going to make them peddlers of the good news. But they were fishermen. And so he speaks to them using an image that makes sense for their context. Follow me and fish for people. I think this is so important. To follow Jesus, they are going to have to give up a lot. They have to give up their nets and their boats and even their dad. But he does not ask them to give up the core of who they are, their identity as fishermen. He does not ask them to change that. He asks them to use it to live out their calling as disciples. They're not giving up fishing. They're always going to be fishermen. They're just going to do it in a new way. The heart of who they are remains unchanged. That resonates with me. It really does. For the longest time, I felt like I had to become something or someone new to be a faithful Christian. 
I had kind of convinced myself that if I could just leave behind my former self, which was egotistical and sinful and broken, I would be able to start fresh with Jesus and follow him properly. But for some reason, I could never really stop being Carmen, who is both deeply faithful and deeply flawed. But that's okay. Because eventually I figured out that God planned to use me as a disciple, me, the core of who I am, and not some perfectly pious version of me that does not and will never exist. Me. God is always redeeming us and offering us opportunities for renewal and creating us as disciples at our core. When Jesus calls me, he does not want me to stop being me. And when Jesus calls you, he does not want you to stop being you. To follow Jesus is not to abandon our identity, but to live into it more fully. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Yeah? My next observation to share with you is that when Jesus calls his first disciples, did you notice... Did you notice that he does it in pairs? Simon and Andrew are together. James and John are together. This one's easy. Discipleship is not a solo activity. It's a partnership. It's a joy when we do it together. So often when we read the story of the call of the disciples, we focus on what they had to give up. And that was significant. It was a lot. Their comforts, their routines, their familiarity. But what about what they gained? They got to learn from the wisest, most influential teacher that this earth has ever known. They got to have adventures and see more of the world than the average Galilean fisherman. They got to meet people from all walks of life and witness how their lives were transformed by Jesus. They got to start out as followers, but they got to become leaders. And they got to do it together with this group of friends. Discipleship is not a solo activity. It's communal. We are called to follow Jesus and to do that together rather than alone. Easy. And my final observation for you this evening is in honor of good old Zebedee, who I think of so fondly. I think sometimes we are called to be the ones to go out and follow, and other times we are called to be the ones who stand and hold those nets for other people so that they can go, right? and to pray for them. We don't know what happened with Zebedee. Maybe he became a disciple of Jesus too. Maybe he was in the crowd that gathered to hear the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he was one of the 5,000 who got to feast on those loaves and fish. More fish, he says. Maybe he got to hear Jesus tell the parable of the sower, and he got to just feel so proud because he knew his sons who he raised were good soil. Maybe he was there for all of it. We don't know. 
But we do know that while we may want safety for those we love, sometimes our call is to send them out into the unknown and even dangerous future to support them as they are vulnerable, as they take risks, as they do ministry. Sometimes that is our ministry. All of this can be summed up in this, that discipleship is primarily a relational activity. To support one another, to be together in it, and to be a disciple as our core being. James and John and Simon and Andrew and all the rest, they had been in the tilapia business, but now they are in the business of relationships. And when Jesus calls them, he doesn't care about their resume or their skill set or their prior experience. He says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And by that, he means that these fishermen will enter into a new relationship with a new population, the least, the lost, the sick, the hungry, the sinful, and with Christ himself. Amen. Amen.